You're listening to the Irish Times. We are here, Pat, on the Out of Time podcast on a Monday morning, and the whole country is depressed about the state of the football championship. Yes, because Dublin are just too good. Just too good. But we are going to bring sunshine to the people. Go on, give us some sunshine. Some sunshine. And it's about football in another country. Because the NFL is starting up soon. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is always an exciting time of the year. I always love the way that uh, the NFL and the Premier League kind of dovetail with the end of the GAA season. We can forget about one and get on to the other and just distract ourselves from, you know, the sad, sad life that we lead. So, there was a brilliant story in the NFL last week. So it's it's um, uh, pre-season time in the NFL. and the, the first pre-season games were last week. And I was idly kind of flicking through some of them on YouTube. And I saw Cleveland Browns were playing. And a guy scored, a, a ran back uh, a, a touchdown, 80, 93 or 86-yard touchdown. Um. And the whole of the Cleveland Browns bench jumped on it. Yeah. In Which a you pre-season never, game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To the extent where you're going, hang on, what the hell is this? Like, it, like, they were winning the game. It wasn't like last minute, anything like that. It was just, and the, like, the bench emptied. 50 men jumped on this guy. And I went, what is the story here? And the story is amazing. This guy is called Damon Sheehy Giuseppe. Amazing name. Amazing name. Strong name game. Mm. Turns out that back in April, this guy bluffed his way into the Cleveland Browns uh, practice facility uh, for a tryout. You know, they were having a trial game. Essentially, he basically went to the bouncer on the door and said, oh yeah, I just want to talk to uh, your man there. Uh, I Yeah, I know him from, from way back. And the kind of guy went, and no, your man that he wanted to talk to was the guy running the trial. Yeah. And so he kind of went, he kind of bluffed his way past the security guard and went up to the guy and said, uh, how you doing, Mr. whatever his name is? He's called High Street or something like that. High Smith. Uh, High Smith, yeah. He says, uh, 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 listen, uh, I, I'm a really fast runner. I have played a little bit of college ball, but like he's he's old, like he's, tw- he's 24 like, it's not like he was straight out of college. He played a little bit here and there. He was a, a, a good sprinter and stuff like that. But, like, this was his last chance, essentially. Uh, he came to to the, the tryout and did well. But, like, on the two nights before the tryout, he had slept on a park bench because he had spent his, his mother's last 200 quid to travel down to this, uh, this, this trial game. Uh, managed to get himself into the sort of extended, extended uh, Browns team and managed to get on for uh, this one run back the other night. And he scored an 86-yard touchback or a touchdown. And, uh, like, he may or may not make it. He may or may not. Like, the the Browns will be cutting uh, players from their team over the next couple of weeks. But it is an amazing story. It's like sleeping rough the two nights before the trials is incredible. Yeah. Because we were... Um, I was he didn't have the price of a hotel room. And he didn't have the price of food. Yeah. Uh, he was going to a laundromat to get his phone charged so that he could keep up with things and then he didn't have money, yeah, basically. Like if, like if they... If all he does is make it onto the practice squad, which is, you know, not on the 53-man roster, but can play, like, week to week uh, in in training games for them throughout the throughout the season, you get paid eight grand a week to do that. Mm. So that could be, like, even if that's all he manages, it'll be a fantastic, like, it'll, it'll be a, a step up from sleeping on a park bench, obviously. But it's a, it's a wicked cool story just from the early uh, preseason games in the NFL. You can compare and contrast, if you want, then with Antonio Brown, yeah. who was a notorious pain in the arse for the Pittsburgh Steelers for the last couple of years. Yeah. And he's been traded to the Raiders, mm. signed a $50 million contract, three-year contract mm. with the Raiders at the start of the year. And he's the guy who some people might have heard of recently. He was in Italy and went into a cryotherapy uh, chamber, wore the wrong footwear, mm. gave himself frostbite, mm. so has missed the start of training. And uh, this year they're bringing in new rules surrounding helmets in the NFL. There's you have to have, your helmet has to be officially sanctioned and passed. 
He's been wearing a particular helmet for the last decade that hasn't been sanctioned and passed. And he's refusing to pay, play at the mm. moment for the Raiders because he's not allowed to wear his helmet. <laughs> and uh, they think, uh, like he's threatened to retire yeah. and walk out on his $50 million contract. Like this guy is amazing. Like he's an amazing wide receiver. Like yeah. he, he he's like top five, top 10 all time kind of guy. So he's the, you know, you got to be that kind of guy to be this much of an asshole yeah. and, and and still get away with it. Uh, the the funny aspect to all that is that the Raiders are the team doing hard knocks this year, which is the uh, HBO preseason fly on the wall documentary. Oh, amazing! Uh, so, like this, is, it's on Sky this week, like the second second episode of it, which will presumably deal with all of this. Which, like, when I heard about it, and I kind of went, "Hang on, they're the hard knocks team this year." Maybe this is uh, they're ginning. It's a ginned up storyline for Hard Knocks, but I'm going to be watching Hard Knocks to, to see it. But yes, the uh, contrasting uh, virtues of Antonio Brown and Damon Chihi Giuseppe. I know what I'm you, cheering for. I know. <laughs> tells you all you need to know about the NFL. Uh, we are going to uh, have. Another notorious asshole in here later on, Gavin Comiskey is going to be doing the uh, telling us about Ireland's uh, preparations for the Rugby World Cup. Gavin's lovely and we love Gavin. We love Gavin very much. Uh, he will be on talking about the sad uh, injury to Joey Carberry over the weekend and uh, how Joe Smith's going to start uh, cutting down his squad. But first, I spent my whole weekend in Croke Park. Uh, our benighted... Uh, Columnist uh, Keith Duggan did the same. How are you, Keith? Good, thanks. Good, thanks, Malachi. Eamon Donoghue is with us as well, who live blogged the whole extravaganza, certainly on Saturday night. Yeah, how are you getting on, Malachi? I'm good, no, I'm good. Um, where do we start, Pat? What do you think? Well, you could start with the fact that at halftime on Saturday, mm. everybody was really excited and thought, "What? A, that was an exciting first half. God, we could be... Watching something here. Let's let, let's let's actually let's let, let's chop it there for a second because I must say, all you want out of sport is the the tension that was in Croke Park at halftime on Saturday night. Mm. Like, uh, it, you know, we do these these matches every summer. We're, we're we do other sports. We're around a lot of stuff. What did you think, Keith? I, I, at halftime on, on Saturday night, it was so perfectly poised, or at least we all thought it was, that you could like you could really feel it in the ground. Yeah, no, no, it was. It, it, that wasn't a that that wasn't an illusion, or yeah. a, like it was perfectly poised. Um, you know, Mayo had the work done. They had what they did in the first half was they forced Dublin to play as individuals. I mm. think, and you know, when you force any. Any player to become an individual, you know, when you when you push them out of their kind of their comfort zone and what what they know, you know, their their limitations do become exposed a wee bit, you know. And you saw the Dublin players looking what they are, which is human, in yeah. the first half and making making mistakes and looking uncertain. Um, but I think two things come into play. Then one was the fact that that Dublin team had been rested the previous week, where Mayo, who are older and on the road longer and have played qualifying games. Went through an awfully tough battle with Donegal, so I think that was going to come into uh, that. That was going to tell a tale at some stage, but I think the big thing was when Mayo came out in the second half, they didn't seem to expect that Dublin were going to press them. You know, they seemed to be surprised by the fact that they were suddenly um, in a in a different kind of game. It should have been it should have been apparent. I think that that's what Dublin were going to do, and I was really take, I was talking with Sean about this on Sunday. We both agreed that they were kind of disproportionately sort of spooked by Conor Gallaghan's first goal. Mm. You know, there was nothing, there was nothing fatal about that. It was a setback, but it needn't have set in motion that calamitous spell that, I was that occurred. A, you're right, Keith, because I was interested in that as well. Because when the that goal went in, um, I immediately thought of, well, I mean, this is Mayo. This. This this shit keeps happening to them. They've given away goals uh, early in halves before. Indeed, they gave away a goal to Conor Callaghan early in the first half of the 2017 All-Ireland Final and dominated the rest of the half. You're exactly right. There There is no particular reason that they ought to have folded so, so much like that. Absolutely. Um, and what was interesting to me was... Um, 
those whatever, however many minutes, I know Pat wants to say it's seven minutes, the consensus is it's 12, whatever. That mm-hmm. spell at the start of, of the second half. Um, Mayo were so passive everywhere, uh, on the pitch and on the sideline. Uh, like, you know, you, we can always read far too much into managers' body language and all that sort of stuff. But even Horan, James Horan seemed just sort of unmoved by everything on the line. It it, it it was if they were inflicted by some kind of collective paralysis mm. that they couldn't quite believe this was happening. Mm. Like, I would think today that Mayo squad and management, they'll be infuriated with themselves. They're just too good to cough up 2-6, two, two wasn't it? Yeah, 2-6 in, 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 in 10 yeah. minutes. They're just too good. And, like, you, you know, the Dublin score taken was brilliant. It re, it, you, know, you know, that has to be acknowledged. It really was fabulous. But, like, it just goes back to... You know what they were doing there was was basically it's 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 been taken from basketball. It was just a full court press, and what that what that depends on it's a sort of a form of bullying. You know, you just press up, you take away space, you inflict sort of physical and psychological pressure on the other team, and you hope that they do well exactly what Mayo did, hmm. which is stand still and sort of do nothing. They looked like they they hadn't really prepared or planned for this. Like, if you look at the first ball that Fenton won, uh, not the one he caught cleanly, which was, you know, an amazing catch. But again, Aidan O'Shea was up against McCarthy and Fenton for that for that particular mm. uh, play. Like, why would you why would you go near those two guys with the ball? It doesn't make sense. But if you look at the first one, the other half of the field, it's completely open. Like, there's so much room to play with there if, uh, if, if, Mayo, if, if Mayo had planned uh, for what they wanted to do with the restarts. Well, I'm going to take a slightly different tack to both of you. I'm not saying that like you can look at Mayo's opening to the second half and pick holes in it, but um, it was 8-6 at halftime. And if you, if you just run through it, I actually sat down just to watch this few minutes uh, last night again. Dublin win the throw-in. They force a free off um, Dean Rock being fouled. Um, May, uh, they scored that. Mayo have an attack. Paddy Durkin's shot falls short. And from the counter-attack, it leads to Conor Callan's goal. Mm. That attack was the only attack that Mayo have in this next period of play that I'm talking about. Henley then makes a mess of a kick out. It leads to Scully wide. Then Scully scores a point that he possibly should have had a goal for, at least got a, had it on target. Fenton wins a kick out. It leads to that amazing point that Mannion got. Uh, they win another kick out. Uh, Dean Rock uh, scores it after Keegan is foul, fouls O'Callaghan. Then there's an absolutely unbelievable catch by Fenton. Uh, he finds O'Callaghan, he finds Mannion. Mannion's on the wrong side again mm. and he sticks it over with his left leg as in a left-legged shot from the left from side. The left side yeah. As that point went over, it ticked on to 42 minutes and the score was 1-11 to 8 points. And there was no way that Mayo were making up those 6 points. Mm. Like the game was done in those 7 minutes. And what I was thinking, Eamon, watching it, while you can definitely poke holes, I suppose, and say Mayo should have expected the full court press, but given the circumstances, an All-Ireland semi-final and a particularly good team, like Mayo are unquestionably one of the best teams in the country and one of the best teams of the last number of years, I think it might have been the best football that maybe a Jim Gavin team has played or, or maybe that we've ever nearly seen. In seven minutes, they absolutely destroyed at one of the best teams around in an All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah, and Mayo's first half performance got that out of them. I think I really did take the best out of them. In terms of Mayo, how they responded to that, I think that Mayo set up, not necessarily defensively, but they set up to contain possession. And that was kind of their, their whole method was if you know, Dublin set the terms by keeping ball and they set their shape and they spread the play where Mayo kept the ball. So Dublin couldn't you know, make the pitch really wide. They couldn't do all of these things. And then once Dublin got the ball at the beginning of the second half and they got the lead... Mayo were set up in a certain way and they just couldn't just change. So like we were all expecting Mayo to, you know, be gung ho and not be bothered by that and just keep attacking. But you can't just change after having a blow like that your whole setup. Um and it took them a while to to make those changes. And you made the point, Maliki, last week how quick they were, say, to take Keegan off, off Murphy Michael, exactly, yeah. straight away when he went in full forward, mm. two balls in, gone, where they were a lot slower to react. And you've seen Keegan went up, he got the goal, but like damage was done. The game was, was over then. But it is, they had set up and obviously worked very hard at what they were going to do in that first half and it worked so well. 
I think they went out in the second half being like more of the same and then when they got hit by that they just weren't able to uh, like, change. And you're right Pat. I mean like that's there, to a certain extent there's not an awful lot you can do against football of that power that ferocity all of that sort of stuff. And perfection. And like perfection. the accuracy of what the they accuracy, were doing. The accuracy was off the charts. Outlandish. At, towards the end of uh, Kerry Tyrone yesterday um uh, Tyrone needed a goal late on. Uh, there, was, there was six minutes of injury time and they kept getting a point to bring it back to a goal and then Kerry would get that point back up the other end. But Shane Ryan uh, in the Kerry goal, uh, who, you know, has like, there's going to be a lot of focus on him in the run-up to the final. There is a very sort of consensus abroad that his kickouts aren't great, that, you know, that he is a young guy who isn't brilliant, uh, who isn't, he, he's not Cluxton, he's not, he's not money in the bank f- with, with his kickouts. Man alive, Kerry, and now Tyrone, Tyrone had such a press uh, for those, ki- he had about four kickouts in the last sort of, we'll say last 10 minutes if you include injury time. And like for those kickouts, Tyrone had pressed so many people up the, up the pitch that Niall Morgan, the goalkeeper, was standing in midfield for these for these kickouts, just in, just to add an extra body if your man kicked it long. But the carry, Gavin White did it a couple of times. Tommy Walsh did it. Um, did Brian Obiugli was gone at this stage? One of the other sort of young carry defenders broke from his man and gave Shane Ryan a quick low kick out and like you were watching it if you were watching it from a Tyrone point of view you were going oh my god how are they how are they managing to do how are you just letting them get these short kick outs away and partly it's down to Tyrone's press not being as aggressive as Dublin's was but also it was down to like that Kerry had that they had that sort of calmness that had that that just that that speed of thought to get those kickouts away, and for those seven minutes that you you point out there, Mayo could not get out of their own half. But if if one of the most experienced teams in the country mm-hmm. get their heads rattled to that degree by the quality that they're up against, yeah. I don't think we can really expect, we'll say, Kerry to and Kerry's very very young team to manage something similar in the final. No, I understand that, but what I'm the point I'm making is that um, in in the heightened circumstances of uh, needing to get four kickouts away in injury time in an All Ireland semi final mm. for a young team, Kerry were able to do it. Why weren't Mayo able to do it? I'm not sure Mayo's kick out. Like this was an obvious problem with Clark in his range, and then there was there was a hope that Henley would add more, which he does in his kick out range. But I just don't think their kick out is near that standard of the top top teams. Oh, but what I'm saying is that they're like the Kerry one wasn't it? Like, was it there they was nothing. Right, there was though. nothing special. Yeah, but these they, were these were rolled foot passes along the ground. Like. You, when, <laughs> I, yeah. when I was when I was looking at um, before the, before the weekend, I was looking at a lot of the Mayo matches back for Durkin and Keegan, and to see who they were marking. It's very easy to actually figure out. Well, the easiest way to figure out who they were marking was to look at the Mayo kickout because a lot of the Mayo mark backs are stuck to their man for the kick out which kind of tells you everything you need to know because like backs should be completely free men for their to get a short kick out so I think a lot of the Mayo's kick out problems comes from their lack of their lack of um, of movement in their backs and their reliance on actually going long so it's it's something they need that they, they really need to to add to their equation because they were beaten in the in the kick out the long kick out battles they were really beaten McCauley was brilliant Fenton was brilliant so if, if if that's not going for you which is not every day you need to have that short option Keith we'll come back to the sort of shadow that Dublin continued to throw over the championship but the game yesterday uh, it actually I suppose ran along vaguely similar lines to the Saturday game in that Tyrone were very impressive in the first half and then at halftime, Kerry made some adjustments and, and and gradually brought them in, and a, a scoring blitz halfway through the second half took them away from it. What what did you think of Kerry's performance? Yeah, I thought it was um, pretty um, composed performance. They obviously struggled a lot in the first half. Didn't panic. Brought in Tommy Walsh, brought in Sherwood, who I thought made a really really big contribution as well from 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 midfield. Um, and I think 
Tyrone sort of stuttered. Um, you know, everything was going through uh, McShane in the first half. He, he had a brilliant game. Did strike a couple of wides that he probably would have expected to uh, to clip over, and it just it just so happened that sort of Tyrone's kind of um, low spell coincided with that scoring blitz by 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 Kerry, and you know the scoreboard flipped. And in fairness to them, they just they looked really comfortable. I thought in just kind of keeping their noses sort of three and four points in front over the last fifteen minutes, and because there's so few people there, only thirty three thousand, the whole thing had a kind of a very strange sort of yeah just sort of a feeling of resignation about the thing i, I really i was i find I, I i kept having to remind myself this was an all-ireland semi-final it just didn't feel like one that's and so I, true keith like, and, and, and i think that in a weird way contributed to the what we watched in the pitch like it was very it felt maybe you know moving between third and fourth gear didn't you think it was never really quite hit sort of that frenetic championship pace definitely there was a point uh Maybe midway through the first half where um, uh, Morris Deegan got a couple of frees, sort of half wrong, you know, they, you know, they were, they were marginal one way or the other. <laughs> and that and riled the crowd. It riled the crowd and you're kind of going, all right, well, th- maybe this is the key to how to get a bit of an atmosphere here. Maybe, maybe we need Morris Deegan to have a bit more of a stinker. Cause it did, it's a, it's it did. a sad state of affairs, isn't it, though? <laughs> but that was it. But it did start to annoy. And, and the, the crowd, the sort of the dander did get up and it was the first bit of noise in the place all day. You know? Yeah, yeah, it um, was. But it was, yeah, it it was weird and and in a way Keith and I uh, I fell I fell a bit um, victim to this I I, ne- I nearly spent most of the first half kind of as you say the atmosphere and the fact that the the mere fact of of what Dublin had done the the night before yeah you were kind of sitting there going oh, sure this is all kind of pointless anyway which is you know you're right it was an all ireland semi final what a stupid way to be thinking of an all ireland semi final and to be to 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 be fair to Kerry i think i sort of almost underrated what they did in the second half a little bit um until until almost up until like after O'Brien's goal and Clifford then started raking over oh, these some, brilliant some, some, points, some some wonderful scores, some gorgeous scores. Like and 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 Gini was looking real dangerous as well. And mm-hmm. and you know it was it was in fairness to them, I I wasn't sure that they had it in them. Um, I thought to a certain extent that they were still a bit young and callow. But you're right, God, Tommy Mulch, what a great story that is. Like you brilliant. Know, you know, a guy who who went was away came back. Like this is his his third attempt at being a Kerry footballer because, like, yeah. when he came back after Australia, he just wasn't up to it. He just wasn't up to the sport. But he'd gone away, was a club footballer again, and now he came back and like made three or four really really important interventions um, around midfield when when the game was was there to be won near the end. Yeah, and and, and he was just a presence, and then he was he was available for those two huge like Tyrone were pressing quite aggressively mm. at the end there in injury time, and he made himself available and won two uh, two, two two big kickouts. Mm. Um, like he really brings another dimension now to Kerry, and I, I really expect to see him um, play a play a considerable part in the final if he doesn't actually start. I, I mean, I, I I don't see why they wouldn't start him. Eamon, on Saturday, um, when Conor Callaghan left Lee Keegan behind him with that sidestep, I was looking at him thinking, my God, he, this this guy is just, uh, you know, a joy to watch. And then the following day, Clifford comes along and kicks some of those scores and you kind of realise that this is, th- this guy could actually be the greatest footballer we've ever seen. The, but the one thing that Kerry really have in their in their kind of plus column going into the final they have some firepower, don't they, going forward? Yeah, and that's what it's. It, it, people can can write off the game as a contest and saying that Dublin are you know going to win it. Um, it. I definitely don't think they're going to cakewalk it, and it's definitely going to be exciting because you've got serious firepower on, on on both sides, and Kerry's defensive system is all based on pushing up as is. So it's going to be hell for leather, and yeah, like for I was thinking that. Uh, if Kerry got through this Tyrone test, like that's the ultimate test to see if they're ready, if these young this young team is ready, and they kind of now they they did it the hard way, and they didn't, you know, the first half they did look a bit um, like they they weren't at all ready, but they have passed that test, and these young guys are fearless now. Mm. They might never be as fearless as as they are right now. They might never actually be as 
prolific as Sean O'Shea and David Clifford will be wiser players and they'll be better team players and they'll be better leaders but they may never ever be as prolific as they are right now and we see that with loads of young players so and similarly with what with Conor Callaghan like you could you could see even with say someone like Kieran Kilkenny is doing a different role out the field these players change so the kind of scoring threat that they possess right now um yeah, this is this is the time for them. This is the time for both of for both of those players. But the the con thing I think is mad is it's definitely worth making a point of of like Kerry can't afford to get things. They have to get everything perfect. And Mayo didn't get everything perfect. Like putting Keegan on Conor Callum just wasn't wasn't the right thing to do. It's like. interesting. At halftime, I was talking to uh, Ed McGreal of the Mayo News, and I was going to him like this. You know what? This is on. This is like this is. Hmm. You know, this is where everybody... You couldn't have asked to be anywhere better than this. But I said, the one thing is... God, Keegan is just not that guy. Like, that's not his... Yeah. Not, that's not his strength. And to be fair to Ed, he kind of went, yeah, but who would you put in there? And the answer to that wasn't obvious. Yeah, You know, like, you can't really do a Keith Higgins anymore... Chris Barrett was doing the job he was doing. Brendan Harrison was doing the job he was doing and struggling at it. Like, who, like short of throwing in Ono Donoghue, I, 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 like a, a man, man marker. Yeah, hard to know where you go there. But it wasn't. It wasn't about. But who, I did think it was an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, it, it wasn't about who could mark Khan though. It was Keegan had the ability to mark so many players and completely nullify them and have a massive attacking input. Mm. And you put him in a position where he had no attacking input. And it was against one of the few positions where he couldn't nullify the opposition. So, um, like what he he played midfield against Roscommon and um, 2017 semi final scores one three on Enda Smith, and the second half Roscommon put Enda Smith in full forward to get him out to get Lee Keegan out of the game. Um, Mihal Murphy first half has ten touches, two of them in his own twenty one. What a, what a Donny Gall do they put Mihal Murphy in full forward? Because he can isolate Lee Keegan and it takes Lee Keegan out of the game. So to Mayo bring him out. Like teams were putting Lee Keegan in his own full back line. And like he carried the fight when he when he got out of there. They they I don't think they'd have got a score if if he didn't come out of the, the full back line. So Kerry can't afford to get those matchups. Kerry aren't as much of a matchup team as Mayo are. They're more of a system defence, but they can't afford to get anything wrong. Keith, I don't know if you uh read your man Malachy Clerkin in the Irish Times, but all the time <laughs> he uh, he has a column this morning about uh, how back in 1981 these Mayo businessmen were trying to get together to um, essentially buy Mick O'Dwyer out of coaching Kerry uh, and to get him up to Mayo, yeah. and uh, essentially kind of looking at the, how ho- all hope was lost around this time. Uh, you know, Kerry were closing in the four in a row at that time, and people just couldn't see an end of it. And uh, Malachy was is is linking the sparse attendance yesterday in Croke Park to this kind of feeling of fatalism that's after falling over the whole country. Like, everybody accepts that the Dublin team are fantastic, but basically is it's a little bit depressing to kind of have a, a one-team sport. What's your, what's your take on, on that? Um, I mean, it is... People are starting to feel a little bit... Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, they're kind of in in despair in a way because it doesn't look like this is going to end at all. Um, so yeah, that I, I'm sure that did contribute to the to to the low attendance yesterday. But I mean, I think the, what you mentioned earlier, co- coaching is the answer. I just think Dublin have got to jump on other teams, on the other elite teams at the moment, and that's what we're seeing. Like, it, 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 and it comes down to simple things. Like you're talking about Lee Keegan on Conor Callan. Like, it is an awful pity that. If, if you told Lee Keegan, Mark here and Kilkelly, and just deny him the ball, just deny him the ball, don't let him get the ball, um, he would eat that up because Kilkenny plays deep and he roams around the field and that would suit that would suit Lee Keegan perfectly. But where he was in the corner for Conor Callahan's goal, like Dublin have been doing this for years now, uh, players making just sort of straight line cuts out towards the corner and then V-cutting behind the defender which is what Conor Callaghan did. He just cut behind him and left him, left Lee Keegan for dead. And it's kind of annoying that teams aren't copping on to this. Like, Niall Scully's been doing this for the last couple of years and teams just aren't seeing it. I, I, re, I, I kind of don't understand how this keeps on happening. Like, there's no need for Keegan to be that tight on O'Callaghan at that moment. Let him get the ball out there. 
You know, mm. let him get the ball out there. Stay between him and the post. Like, what's going to happen? The cover's going to come in behind you. You slow him up. The worst is he tries to hit a point from the bleak angle if he lands it well and good. But you don't want to get caught like that. And even the second goal, how did Kilkenny, how was Kilkenny allowed to, it was, it was a great, it was a great, it was a great kick pass from that free. But my God, yeah, the space was criminal. They'd switched off. They'd totally switched, They'd off, switched off and he off. had, he had, like, it wasn't like he took it quickly. No, he didn't. No. He, I don't, I don't think he, quite, he could quite believe how much space there was in front of him. I think he had to do a double take. Mm. And then all O'Callaghan had to do was just peel off and he was completely free. But again, with that, with Keegan, he, if he was a corner back or a full back, he would be aware of that situation where he, he, he marks a man just so tightly. He so doesn't tight, let him breathe. Yeah. But that's what he does. And then he, because his whole game is around, I'm not going to allow my opposition man to pick up loose hand passes out the field. Precisely. To get them into the game. And which, which would have been perfect for Kilkenny. Yeah, but when you're in full, when you're in the full back line. That's not a danger. He's not going to pick up a loose hand pass in, in the full back line. He's going to pick up a ball he's and possibly to, score a goal. Yeah, so if he wins ball that ball before, you, exactly. you let him take his point. Yeah. You, can't, you can't play in a full back line thinking, I'm going to keep a man scoreless. You, ha- you have to literally think every so often he's going to get a point and that's, yeah. that's yeah. it. Like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's unfair on him. And, and, and you know, the, the kick out thing as well that you were talking about earlier, like, you, you, you're, you're so right, like Maliki, like, Kerry, I, I just don't see Kerry coughing up that kind of uh, succession of scores against Dublin. I, I, I just don't see it happen. Um, like, there's a lot of spotlight, a lot of attention on, on, on Rob Henley. But what options, what options were he being, was he being given during that period? Absolutely none. Like, he had seven or eight or nine Mayo players standing facing him. So, notionally, they're giving him an option. But they're giving him... They're, they're actually making this decision more difficult because no one's doing anything. So, I don't know. I just think the teams need to... Um, they need to come up with very clear strategies as to what to do against this press. And if you if you do that, the thing about the press is, if a team... If it's not working for a team, they very, very quickly back off. They very, very quickly doubt it. Because if you if you can break it once or twice and you can, you can turn that Dublin team when they're pressing you... They're in all kinds of trouble because now they're retreating towards their own goal. Well, uh, Dublin carry all Ireland final, and we've spent most of this podcast talking about Mayo, so that'll obviously piss off most of the Dublin fans <laughs> yet again. So uh, there you go. Uh, listen, three weeks to the final. I'm sure we will have plenty of time to talk about it. Thanks a million, Keith. Thanks, guys. And cheers, Eamon. Thanks. Have you seen the date, Pat? Yeah. Why? It is the 12th of August. Now this is this is significant for two reasons. One, it's my uh, parents' wedding anniversary, or well, it would be if my father hadn't died. Anyway, that's that's a bit too macabre. But anyway, it is they get their wedding anniversary is the twelfth of August. Had you told them on the twelfth of August, nineteen seventy-seven, uh, the day they got married, that there would be a time in the future when people would be talking about rugby seriously on the twelfth of August, they would have laughed at you. They would, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And yet here we are. Here's Gavin Comiskey. They had you pretty studio. quickly after they got married then, didn't they? Oh, a year after. Right, a year okay. after. Don't you... Don't you cast aspersions on my, my, my parents You're a child the of 78 70s. though, aren't you? I am a, a, a late 78. Very, very late 78. Anyway, here you are, talking to us about rugby, for it is a World Cup year. And uh, it's starting... It's not getting serious yet, but it's getting to the point where we have to start talking relatively seriously about it. Yeah, I went over my ankle there. Yesterday, yeah. So just in sympathy with poor Joey, it's not a fracture. But, <laughs> but whoever does, if whoever fractures their ankle when they go over it, you know what I mean. A torn ligaments or damaged ligaments is way more serious than a broken <laughs> well, ankle. Quite, yes. So that line that Joe Schmidt put out straight away is just okay. Okay, hang on. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. So let's let's do this relatively straightforwardly. Ireland played Italy on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Tell me what happened. Uh, for fifty minutes, everything seemed possible because Joey Carberry hit the ground running. Chris Farrell looked like the 12 mm. that Joe Schmidt's always wanted. Big, strong, hands, the whole lot. And then, um, well, I was actually doing the blog and while I was on my, I think my fifth post about how Joey Carberry's going to change, change the whole dimension of Ireland's attack, I looked over and he'd caught his ankle or twisted it. I actually mm. haven't seen it back yet. Saw like a freeze frame of it. Um, it's funny. It was the one bit of it that I saw. 
Uh, I was getting ready to go to Croke Park of and course. I had it on as I was getting ready and it wa- I literally turned it on as they were attending him. Well, let me take you back then and tell you yeah. what he did for 50 minutes. He he played, it, it was a kicking masterclass. It, it was, because I just watched Richie Munga and Christian Lea Liafana for the Wallabies and the All Blacks and he's better than both of them. He's two years younger than both of them or three years younger than both of them and he's a better out half, better international out half. He's more comfortable in, in the arena like so it was just so apparent and it's been apparent since November 2017 when mm. he, he ripped the Fijians apart went off injured in that game it's been apparent last year in Edinburgh when he tore Scotland apart got injured in that game well so this is what I wanted to ask you about like wh- what's your level of worry here well Ireland if Ireland don't bring some a different dimension to the way they attack uh, and which we saw with Joey Carberry. He makes his wingers, he made Dave Carney and Andrew Conway look like they should be in the team for the World Cup, you know. He, he made them look like they should be on the plane because he, his appreciation of space, it was just lovely. It was every single kick you could think of in the locker he put out. He put three up for Conway. They realised it was a weakness over on the Italian wing. And um, Actually, funny enough, it was one poor kick in 50 minutes and Schmidt pointed it out, you know, so which is the best criticism you can always get when he, he nitpicks from an excellent performance. But, like, it's not um, drop Johnny Sexton stuff or anything like that or drop Rob Carney or whatever, but it's the the extra dimension that Carberry could bring in twenty in the tw- last 20 minutes of a World Cup quarterfinal or 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 any time. Or you, you just, the whole debate should be now about how you fit him into the team, how, how it's done, how are you going to figure it out? And instead, it's... He's probably in cryotherapy at the moment because um, he couldn't put weight on his left leg, and yes. he was em- really emotional coming he, off in the he cart. Was. Yeah, that's all we know. So we're now we've got a little gap here. They you should fill this void. They should fill this void straight away. Otherwise, it just goes on and well, on. Well, because and on. you fundamentally never believe a word that comes out of the Irish camp when in, when it when they're talking about injuries. You don't. Uh, it's not that I don't believe it. It's just they they you ask a straight question, you just never get. A straight answer. They just go on and on and on. They just they just give this really long answer about and even like for example, asked about Jack McGrath on uh, asked Joe Schmidt in the press conference about Jack McGrath. He came off at half time, and what was your, what's your what's your thinking about the five props you're going to bring? And Schmidt was like, "Oh, I'm not going to tell you my thinking, but uh, it was definitely tactical." And he went on about how Jack McGrath's tackling was excellent. Jack McGrath made two tackles. Uh, he, he talked. He got to. He got. He started with Jack McGrath, and he got to Finley Beelham at the end <laughs> about how he needs props that can play on both sides of the scrum. If Finley Beelham, all due respect to the guy, is in the Ireland World Cup squad, that means Keen Healy or Tyke Furlong aren't going, and we're in serious problems. So, um, no, they just they just don't like to tell you what's going on. What has happened Always to been Jack McGrath in like the the two years since he was a line? Yeah, he went on the line story. Yeah. You know, this happens over the years. Look at Eric Miller, what happened to him after the line story. Jeremy Davison, Stephen Ferris. You get to the Lions tour too early. See, the Lions is not about protecting you for the rest of your career. The Lions is about you getting Mincing your act together within for, six, seven weeks yeah. to play three of the hardest matches of your life. So players tend to get crocked. Um, Jack McGrath was the second best loose head behind Mako Vunapola on that tour. Second best loose head like in the world in Europe whatever and he came back and he, he had an, he has had a knee injury and he has had you know there's a whole thing about like Keane Healy got his act together in that preseason and came back and is the Keane Healy that everyone that Ireland have always needed and he, we always hoped he'd be he'd become still at this age and Jack McGrath was back playing uh, in the, the second fiddle role 20 minutes and all that and Ed Byrne's been coming through the ranks and Leinster have Ed Byrne more because Jack McGrath would be in Ireland camp so he's been Cursed by being the understudy at club it's and country. Just that grey area. Yeah, so he's done, He last season he fell behind Dave Kilcoyne to start in Munster Loosehead. And that, right now, as it stands, just from the evidence we have, Dave Kilcoyne is going as the understudy to Keane Healy and Jack McGrath. Even though he's done everything that's been asked of him, he's up in sticks from living in Ranlet to going up to Belfast. And next season he's going to probably come into the prime of his career and be the starting, the rock that Ulster build their pack on and all that, but it might just come too late for him to get the career moment, which is a World Cup. Um, it's not lost yet, but the halftime substitution to look at Andrew Porter for 20 minutes after spending two years turning Andrew Porter into a tight head is worrying for McGrath. But it, hopefully he gets back to the form that of 2017 and hope maybe we see it in Twickenham or something and he goes. But Dave Cogoyne's not the worst, but Jack McGrath was world class and is world class, you know. So Let's get 
down into the weeds a wee bit. Uh, you are of the opinion that, uh, like, this is all, like, okay, injuries apart, but this is all, we they have, how many more tests between now and the squad? The two the, more before, have, before he names the squad? Twickenham, Cardiff, and then Wales at home. So right. you can take about five players five that'd be start, <laughs> or, that you'd like to have starting in the team. But, but if the plane was going tomorrow, you reckon there's three calls, essentially? The plane was going tomorrow, the squad is... The squad is fairly straightforward now. Yeah, there's 28 nailed on, and out of out of 31. Okay, um, the it's 31's such a tricky number, you know. But uh, yeah, no, it's nailed on now because what the three debates are: um, does Joe bring does Joe Schmidt bring 18 forwards? Looks like he's going to bring 17. So it's scrum, the third scrum half is dependent on the state of Joey Carberry mm-hmm. simply because if Joey Carberry can't go and you bring Jack Carty I think you need to bring John Cooney who can cover out half but if that if Carberry's fine uh, it'll be Conor Murray Marmion and Luke McGrath I, th- I think almost certainly it just their Schmidt Schmidt has, keeps going back to Marmion you know what I mean and uh, McGrath again showed his worth I think again he's got so many he's just a clever rugby player he's not as good as scrum half I think still yet but he's always improving you know already a leader in the Leinster group so that's the way that works out. Um, Jack McGarr, Dave Kilcoyne, straight. Well, just before you move on, so that that's sort of it's it's five out of six for those six names. Is that um, give, yeah. give or take? Yeah, yeah, that's how it's going to. And work. if Carberry goes, I think goes. I think he's bringing two out halves no matter right. what. It's just a case of does he want to have a little bit of extra cover with John Cooney? Don't we we kind of have two though injury prone out halves? Do we is is that it? Do we not have a Sexton and Carberry. Sexton and Carberry. Yeah, right? and like Jack Carty, for all for all he does, he keeps coming on and looking like he's mm. well up. For, he's he he's like plays really well when he's come on off the bench last season. Passed out Ross Byrne as the number three, but if you want to go anywhere, you need world class players. And Sexton and Carberry are world are the few, two of the few world class players we have mm. in key positions. So like. Doesn't matter. Just get them, get them out there, and but is there get them out there and hold your rosary beads tight that they don't get hurt. You know. But do you bring a third out half? Just no room for a third out half. Oh, wow. When you break it down, because if you bring a third out half, Chris Farrell can't come or Andrew Conway can't come. There's just no space for them. Like one of those two players doesn't make it if Schmidt decides to go with eighteen forwards. Like just just go through the list: Carney, Earl, Stockdale, Larmer are guaranteed. Henshaw, Ringrose, Aki guaranteed. So Conway and Farrell only make it if there's five halfbacks. Right. And if there's um, if if Schmidt decides to go with six halfbacks, one of them that gets cut. Uh, he Schmidt did make a reference to wingers. He goes, "I need my centres to play wing." We've looked at Ringrose as a as a winger because he played there for Black Rock as a kid. You know, so he, that that even though Conway was the best player on the pitch and had an excellent game, mm. um, he still is under pressure to to make the squad just because he's a winger slash fullback and they have loads of fullback options. Um, in the back row, the the back row that started on the weekend. Jordy Murphy, Reese Roddick and Tommy O'Donnell. Looks like all three of them might miss out because Klein, Ireland won four scrum penalties in the first half. Jean Klein is the tight head second row that Schmidt has wanted for a long, long time. Um, he's, he qualified on Thursday. Yeah. I think he's, ta- he's taken him. He's the guy that you want to play against Samoa in Russia. He's the guy that won't probably, won't get injured. And so Toner went over his ankle again. You know, he's he's just the power forward that Ireland don't, don't produce, you know. He's, he's the, break glass in case of uh, the disastrous injury to James Ryan situation you know so he I think I think Schmidt's always wanted to bring him and has always wanted to and, and like again yeah, like 16, 17 tackles his numbers are better than everyone else on the weekend like you know he's the big lug of a guy who just Ireland needs so that means five back rowers and we know that Peter O'Mahony Josh van der Flyer, CJ Stander and Jack Conan are going so that means there's one spot left for Tyg Byrne Jordy Murphy Reese Ruddock wow. and Tyg Byrne came on so it looks like Tyburn's no longer being considered a lock. Again, we're going from the evidence of the Italy game. Came on, 35 seconds, turnover, Ireland penalty. Mm. Three minutes later, goes into another ruck, turnover, Ireland penalty. Like, no one else can do this in the Ireland team because Dan Levy's gone and Sean O'Brien are gone. Tyburn is your man. Like, he, he just, he doesn't tick the boxes that Schmidt wants that the Ireland team have wanted. Like, he didn't, he got, he was desperately unlucky in January. He was playing sensational in his first season for Munster. He was really, just brought their team to another level. And he got a, a really unfortunate knock. I think it was the Gloucester game, the one when Carberry was brilliant. Hurt his knee and it just wiped him from the Six Nations pecking order and he, he got back and played well for months at the end of the season. But he's, I just don't see how you a guy of his quality, for two, three years now, he's been one of the best forwards in Europe, 
how you just don't bring him as the again won't probably make the team probably won't even make the bench for the big games but when the injuries start to rack up throwing Ty Byrne in is just ideal Would there be any sense of, of annoyance that, that Klein um, qualifies on a Thursday and is probably going to go on the plane like ahead of guys that have been around all this time Uh Japan just threw in a South African and, a, and two South Africans and an Australian into mm. their pack in the last few weeks. So everyone's doing it. You know? Oh, no, I don't mean particularly the, the ethics of it. I mean, like the sort of squad cohesion side of it. Um, yeah, I imagine uh, they're all, they have little... Like somebody like Reese Ruddock is, the, is, the, is the, the, the second string captain. Like he captains the, yeah. the teams when, when the, the big lads aren't around. And there's a chance that he, he won't go. Yeah, definitely. The, the, the argument back at that is Reese Ruddock has been injured every single season of his mm. career. So, yeah, Reese Ruddock would be going. Reese Ruddock would be, probably have way more caps than he does if it wasn't for his injury profile. Mm. Jean Klein doesn't have an injury profile. But yeah, of course, I'd say I'd be pissed off if I was a six foot seven. Uh, if I was Ulton Delan, I'd just been sent back to Connacht yeah. a week ago. I'd be upset because a South African has arrived and taken my spot after all the work I'd done to get there. But the lads are watching and training. Klein is clearly a better, stronger player than Delan, so Delan's gone. Klein's in. Yeah. Um, at this stage, it's, it's professional it's, sport. It's, it's not. It's not Dermot Connolly coming yeah, back for yeah, the it, dubs. Yeah, no, it's, it's, no, it's, no, it's a different of story. Not. <laughs> but it's it's so it, it's ruthless. Schmidt's key, Schmidt goes. Um, Jerry had it in his front page piece saying it looks like Schmidt's going to cut two or three players. But again, we asked Schmidt, so you, he goes, "Yeah, I might cut my squad down to forty for Portugal." And he goes, "But then again." Uh, Herring, Toner, and Carberry have knocked, so I'll probably bring forty-three. He's yeah. going to hang on, like Eddie Jones is cutting at the thirty-one today. Yeah. He, he, Schmidt's going to hang on and tell you as little as possible for as long as he can. It strikes me, though. Well, first of all, I think Eddie Jones doing that is a bizarre way to do it because surely you drop somebody, you end up having to bring back in, and you've made it obvious who's who's your second choice or third choice yeah, or whatever. He'll be playing guys that he's not picked in warm-up matches. Yeah, like that's. It strikes me as a, a reverse way of doing it. it Eddie Jones. Does a lot of things the ways you don't. Put it. He always kind of looks at situations and going, ah, what? He actually just has fun with the media, you know, most of the time. Yeah. You know? should, should the World Cup squads not be bigger than thirty-one? Just in, I know it's a very <laughs> general question, but I've been beating this drum every time I come again. A professional rugby player coach for the last three months, I've asked this question. Yeah. Like Rory Best met him in, in the summer. He did a media thing, and he was like, "This is a problem." Joe Schmidt said it on the weekend. He goes, "This is a problem." It makes World Rugby have been caught out for being out of touch a couple of times mm. in recent in recent years. You go back like, to the under twenties. Yeah, under 20s. Like, it didn't. It wasn't a. Ama- oh, don't even get started on the, the lack of time. But yeah. But go back to the World Cup four years ago. It wasn't a problem for Ireland because it was in. They were based in Birmingham and Cardiff, so yeah. it didn't make a difference. Uh, you could just. It was never going to be an issue. In Japan, it's a major problem. Like, and do you know how you solve it? Keep it at thirty-one man squads and go. You can bring three guys. You can bring thirty-four. And if you there's three guys, if you want to register them, if there's an injury, just show me a medical cert. Take one guy out and put one guy in. It means you can have training, everything. And there's three dirt trackers that are there that mm. are only there for injury. Problem solved. Instead, you're gonna have 16 hour flights. And like the whole joke about oh, someone you'll get guys to go on holidays in Australia and all that. You you won't because they'll be playing for Leinster and Munster mm. back in Dublin. So there's a there's a massive there's a, basically it takes two days, three days to recover from jet lag and all to get a guy in. So it that's it's so a, they can't bring why an you extra have to, four players and stick them in the you, hotel. No, like teams are going to bring six props. You know, uh, th- teams are going to bring six halfbacks because, as far as I know, you can't do that. Yeah, right. Because if they do it, we're going to notice it. Uh, like let's say, why is Fergus McBadden not playing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he's on the beer in Japan. <laughs> so, but it, it has the potential to just like to decimate the, the tournament, to really be the, the thing that we keep yeah. going on and on about. Because this is going to be, I was writing it today, this is not going to be about ability, it's going to be about durability. This mm. tournament's going to come down to that. The All Blacks are already struggling, you know what I mean? They've they've lost arguably two of their best players in Damien McKenzie and Ritalik might, should make it back from his shoulder injury. Um, and you can see that they're already, like, they don't know they don't know what their best team is. And they're on, they've just got hammered by Australia, you know. The Springboks under Rassi Erasmus have got their act together because he's gotten he's been given total control, and he's bringing back all the European players and all that. But again, we've talked about it many times. This is the thing that's going to catch Ireland, probably. You know, what I mean, it's the um, it's the thing that's going to that gives England a chance of winning the World Cup. Bigger, stronger, more, more lug, more heavyweights to go more to go around. That's unfortunately what the tournament might come down to. Glad to see that. Uh, 
you've decided that we want, we want the All Blacks now in the quarterfinal rather than the South Africans. Is that it? Yeah, just South Africa tore the Pumas tore Argentina apart in Argentina. This is weekend. ending in the quarterfinal again, isn't it? We're like yeah. this carry on of you know we you know yeah. Ireland can't make it to a semi final. It's it's going to happen again, isn't it? Um, yeah, because <laughs> okay, look, I've just we've just gone through the Ireland World Cup squad. Mm. Uh, you mean to tell me that somebody's going to everyone's going to come through Twickenham and t- in on Saturday week clean <laughs> yeah. the Welsh? We get two go two bangs against the Welsh. Yeah. So then you got Japan, Scotland, and then Russia, and then Samoa. <laughs> so like, by the time Ireland get to the quarterfinals, yeah. it's not going to be anywhere near their best team. While <clears throat> it's going to be Jack Carty and John Cooney taking on uh, the South Africans. Yeah, I think um, right now, I think New Zealand, New Zealand, like before even Scott Barr got sent off on the weekend, Australia looked like they're going to do them. It was like for me when Scott Barr got that red card, which was deserved. They're going crazy saying it wasn't. Mm. Um, it looked like uh, I was like, "There's their excuse." Because Australia look better, and Australia are not that good. Like they've gone back to Ulster at half. Leofano, um, Czech is like is scrambling to get a, a a good team, you know. But like at the moment, from the evidence we have in front of us, England and South Africa are, are shooting up the ranks as the two best teams, you know. So yeah, we'll have. I think we. I don't know if we'd prefer the All Blacks because we can outthink the Springboks. You know what I mean? Mm. But um, we're, we're going to get one of them, and we're not going to be in the shape that we want to be. Interesting. <laughs> it's so depressing. It's not depressing. We're not depressed yet, Gavin. Yeah. God Almighty, you, you, you're, you're going to be spending seven weeks in Japan. Then you'll know I what know, depressing like, is. I, the way I put it is, we, I think we will get our act together. Uh, like I, I don't think anyone's going to be worried about playing the Springboks in a World Cup quarterfinal because, mm. like Sexton or you know, he'll, he'll be able to I think them, I'd figure them out. You know. Yeah. Right? So it's still a semi-final when we'll have like no players left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is depressing, Gavin. And on that happy thought, uh, thank you, Gavin. Uh, we will be um, uh, sick of the sound of your voice uh, by this time two months, but uh, thank you for this beginning. Uh, thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Mark. Thanks to Jenny and JJ behind the desk. Thanks to Keith and Eamon, who we had on earlier, and we will see everyone next week. Cheers.